All right. I guess I kind of wanted to start by telling a little bit of a story from this morning, and this is kind of cool. I think it's so neat how real God is with us in relationship. And for most of you that have a relationship with God, this will make sense. Sometimes people ask me, how is a relationship with God real? I mean, it's just some book that's a couple thousand years old. Sometimes people will say, how can you know God is real? How do you know there's a real relationship there? I mean, how can you say it's anything more than a religion? And I say, it's so interesting how God is always working with you right where it's important and right where it's meaningful and pertinent. Does that make sense? Most of you guys understand what I'm talking about. And how you'll be reading through uh, the Bible and not intending to find what's going on in your life. And it will be right there. (laughs) And that happened this morning. It was kind of an interesting thing. This is this is really uh, just a neat story. Basically, I've been having uh, some headaches for several weeks, and it's been stressing me out, and I can't figure out what's going on. And I got all sorts of tests done by the doctors and stuff, and they can't find anything. And I was kind of stressing out about it, and it's easy to because I start wondering, like, what in the world is going on? Because they're always there. And I was, I was thinking, well, the talk's about surrender. In Romans 12, kind of the whole chapter deals with surrender. And we'll talk about a few verses out of Romans 12. So I thought, during my quiet time, I'm just going to be reading over Romans 12. And kind of the second half of that, starting in verse 9. And it's all this different stuff about surrender and relationships and humbling ourselves before each other and loving when it's hard to and things like that. And the third verse, it was so cool. I didn't even expect this. I forgot it was there. And I'm in my mind worrying about this issue. And right there it says, rejoicing in hope. And I thought, man, I haven't been rejoicing in hope because there's so much that I'm hopeful for. Every single test came back negative. That could have been bad. There's just so much promise in what God gives us. And then the next one said, patient in tribulation. I thought, man, I'm not being very patient in tribulation. And this is a small trial, but it's something that I can be patient in. And then the next one said, um, continuing earnestly in prayer. And I thought, man, that's so crazy, because I'm definitely not seeking God enough in prayer about this. But it was just a reminder to me how God is so personal in relationship with us, and how He hits us right where we're at when we need to be hit. He teaches us what we need to learn right when we need to learn it. It's never too late, never too early, but He's always so on time, I think. So uh, that was just a story from today, and I can't get it out of my mind. We talked about it in, the, in Will's discussion group this morning. But I just think it's an encouragement, hopefully to you guys, that a relationship with God is really awesome. And I want to start out with that because this talk is about surrender, and most of it's going to be talking about, and maybe talking to, somebody that has taken the first step of surrender and has accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I say that's the first step of surrender because that's the step where we say, I've tried on my own and it doesn't work, right? I've gotten myself in a mess. I've found that I don't have the keys to the fulfilling and abundant life that I know can be possible and I can't experience it the way I've tried. And so I'm going to let Jesus come in and take control. So I surrendered to Christ. So most of this talk is geared to those of you that have made that decision to let Christ come into your life and have accepted Him, you've made that first step of surrender. Uh, as I'm talking tonight, if you haven't made that first step of surrender, please think through in your mind what's keeping you back from making that step of surrender, even tonight. Think about all that Christ does offer and compare it to all that the rest of the world offers because I think His offers are beyond belief. So relationship with Him, I think, is 
the greatest thing any of us will ever experience. And it starts with that first act of surrender, of accepting Him. With that in mind, Jim Elliott kind of summed up this idea of surrender really well. He said, He is no fool who would give what he can never keep to gain what he can never lose. Isn't that true? Such an amazing quote, but that's what we're doing. That's that, that point where we say, Jesus, I want you to have control. C.S. Lewis said, until you have given up yourself to him, you will not have a real self. That's a really accurate description of what we're going to be talking about tonight. Giving up ourself to him and letting him replace it with a real self. One that we can never fabricate or create. So surrender is basically the act of giving up or yielding oneself or the possession of something to the power of another. That's the Merriam-Webster dictionary. So it means giving up control. Something that you control, your life, your possessions, your time, your energy, your money, giving it up to somebody else to control it. So it's taking the control you used to have and saying, I'm going to let somebody else have that control. So I'm not going to control it anymore. Somebody else is going to control it. It's not a a natural human thing to do. We as humans like to control things. We like to hold on to things. And so this talk is going to fly in the face of everything natural to each one of us, I believe. But it's what we're all called to do is to surrender to Christ because he has something so much better for us. As I thought about this, I thought humility causes surrender, right? When you humble yourself, it causes you to surrender to God, some area that you hadn't previously surrendered. And when you surrender that area to God, you come closer to him, which causes you to become more humble, which causes you to surrender more to God, which causes you to be to come closer to Him. It's kind of an upward cycle. You've heard of a downward cycle? Or, this is the opposite of that. It's an upward motion bringing you closer to Christ. So every opportunity to surrender to God is an opportunity to be humble and to become closer to Jesus. So I think this is a key to the Christian life. And it's something that we're all called to. And there are a lot of verses that talk about it. And we'll share those today. So the first quote from Andrew Murray, and this is great. He says, True humility comes when before God... We see ourselves as nothing, have put aside self, and let God be all. The soul that has done this and can say, I have lost myself in finding you, no longer compares itself with others. It has given up forever any thought of self in God's presence. It meets its fellow man as one who is nothing and seeks nothing for itself, who is a servant of God and for his sake is a servant of all. I think that's such an amazing quote because so many times... It's, it's really easy to say, theoretically, that I've lost myself in finding you and probably seeing it in a million worship songs, but it's really hard to no longer compare myself with any others. <laughs> and it's really hard to actually give up any thought of myself in God's presence, isn't it? It's so easy to think of myself as something special in God's presence. And you know, I know a lot of Christians are gifted, but man, I'm really special. <laughs> and, uh, and Andrew Murray here is saying... The person that really is humble before God has for, has given up forever any thought of self in God's presence. I don't even come in the picture. It's only Him. And that's a true attitude of humility that I desire. And I know I don't have. But I think that surrender and humility go together to make that a reality. So surrender, some synonyms for it that I think kind of help me understand what it means would be giving up means admitting defeat. We try so hard before we're Christians, to live life in a way that would be abundant and fulfilling and fun and exciting. I don't think I've ever met somebody that when it comes down to reality would say, 
yeah, I truly am satisfied right where I'm at right now. There's something missing because we all have that God-sized hole in our heart. So something is always missing. And I guess for the non-Christian, it'd be admitting defeat, saying, I couldn't do it. And for the Christian, after we've accepted Christ, I think we try to do the same thing. We try to do it in our own strength, our own strength, our own strength. And there comes a time when we finally have to admit defeat and say, I'm not sufficient. I can't do it. He needs to do it. I'm, I don't have what I need to make it possible. So basically it means submitting. It means yielding, uh, relinquishing control, handing it over to him, parting with something and conceding. Those are all synonyms for surrender. It basically means emptying self to be filled with him. Philippians 3, 7, Paul talked about this. Paul says, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ. So all those things that I held on to so strongly, that were so important to me, either before Christ or even as a Christian now, all those things that are that I don't want to give up control of, he says, I've, I've given those up. I count them as rubbish compared to knowing Christ. Because in that point of surrender is where we are filled with Him. I don't think you will experience the abundant life God offers or accomplish the purpose that He has for you in life if you don't live a life of surrender. It starts with a life of surrender. The abundant life and a life of purpose start with surrender. The Christian life is a surrendered life. There's no other way to explain it. The Christian life begins with and is a daily process of surrender. Mark 12:30, Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. That's a lot of stuff. And a lot of times we repeat that verse and we, we recite that verse and, and kind of we breeze by it so fast we forget to really think about what does that mean. And Nadine mentioned it this morning as part of having a heart for God. And it's so true because this is vital. Jesus said this is the foundation for our relationship with Him. And when we put Him first in all those areas, it means, first of all, in the heart, it means that we put Him first with our emotions and our desires. That's, that's a big deal. It's easy to let our emotions go wherever and to let them lead us. It's easy to let our desires, even good desires, control us and direct us and lead us and not let Him do it. When we love God with all of our heart, we're going to let Him be in charge of every emotion and every desire that we have. When we love Him with all of our soul, that means loving Him with our image, our attitudes, and our character. That's another huge thing. What is my image like? Do I, am I really willing to be looked at as unpopular? Because Jesus said I would be. So if I surrender my image, it means that maybe at times, maybe many times, I will not be popular. And it will not be fun. And I will not be cool. And I will not be trendy. But that's part of loving Him with all my soul. He's first in my soul, in my image, in my attitudes, in my character. Uh, when I love Him with all my mind, I put Him first with all my thoughts and my intellect. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says to make every thought obedient to Jesus Christ. So that, that's kind of what it means to, to love Him with all my mind. It's where these thoughts that go on all day long, they don't just drive me wherever they want, but I control them in a way that's surrendering to Christ and letting Him be in charge of what I think and what I allow myself to think about. And there are so many things that I can allow to come into my mind that don't help me have control over my thoughts and love Him with my mind. What about loving Him with all my strength, with all my energy, and all my labor? With what I do with my time, with all the work that I accomplish in this life, will that be putting His good first, or will it just be some other job or some other paycheck? I used to work as the air quality specialist for the Southern Ute Tribe before coming on staff here. 
And I think every single day in the office, I'd ask my coworkers, so how's it going today? And they'd say, another day, another dollar. And that was the, the rote response every single day. And I think for Christians, we almost develop that same attitude. Hey, I'm working for the almighty dollar. You know, I'm working to get that next paycheck. And does, does what I do with my, with my time, with my energy and my strength, go to his best interest? Does it go to putting him first and accomplishing what he desires? So when I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, I'm basically putting his good first with every aspect of my life. Nothing is held back. Everything goes towards loving Him, putting His good first. Philippians 2.21, Paul says, everyone looks after their own interests, not the interests of Jesus Christ. And that is far too often the case with us as Christians. We think, you know, I give God Sunday morning and Friday night at SNL, and that's great. I thank God that most of us do that. But that might be 3 or 4% of our week. He says to love Him with everything. That's not near everything. And we're all called to surrender all those areas and let him have control of all of them. Again, that is the foundation for everything that he promises us. The abundant life, joy, hope, peace, love. A life of purpose and meaning on this planet. Uh, Being able to live and die at the end of your life and know that you lived life on this planet that will count for eternity, not just for the years that it was here. And imagine the impact that it can have after you die. Bill Bright started Campus Crusade for Christ in what, 52, 1952. He just died last year. And there are right now 25,000 staff members with Campus Crusade for Christ in, I think, 200 countries or something like that. That is all fruit of that one man's life. And that's going to continue multiplying until Jesus comes back. I want to live the kind of life on this planet, surrendered to God in a way that when I die... There are going to be thousands of people multiplying until Christ comes back. Where I can know my life had an impact on eternity. But it doesn't come from Nate. Uh, I don't have anything to offer. It comes from me surrendering and letting him live through me. Me loving him with all my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength. That's why John the Baptist said in John 3.30, he said, He, Jesus, must become greater. I must become less. So he said, I have to decrease. He has to become greater. And I think in, in my life, maybe in yours, it's easy sometimes to think, he must become greater, but I also must become greater. <laughs> right? It's easy for me. I remember when I was a college student, I was uh, a sponsored snowboarder. I don't know what, what's cool now, but when I was a college student, that was really cool uh, to be a sponsored snowboarder. And so I used to wear the t-shirts from Drive Snowboards, my, my snowboard sponsor, and so everybody on campus knew that I was sponsored by Drive. And people I'd never met would walk up to me and they'd say, Hey, you got any free Drive stickers for us? Because stickers were also really cool. And I always had like 100 stickers in my pocket because I knew that they'd ask me that. And so I'd give them out. And I realized one day that my whole image was wrapped up in snowboarding. And it was kind of a shock to me because I really was trying to serve God at that time. But I was also trying to become greater in my own image. I was trying to... I was really proud, and I really wanted attention from people on that campus. And I remember the time where I had to finally say, God, I don't, I don't care if anybody for the rest of my life even knows I snowboard. Who cares? It's nothing. And I want them to see you and me, not snowboarding in me. And I think that that is what John was saying. I must become less. He must become greater. And I think what happens in our, in our life as Christians, the reason we don't love him or put his good first with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength 
is that we compartmentalize, right? We kind of give God Sunday morning, Friday evening, this and that, and we, we kind of take a lot of the other times for us. And that's not at all what God wants. It's natural to human nature. I, I know that it's easy for us humans to divide up our life into all these different areas so we can control them better. But again, this whole idea of surrender is the opposite of having control. It's giving God control and not keeping control. I think compartmentalization is the essence of religion. Isn't that true? It's kind of give God a little bit, give him your Lent, or give him your Sunday morning, or give him your Easter, or your Christmas, but then the rest you can do whatever you want with. That's not the way God planned it. He wants everything. I think even as as Christians, a lot of times, we, we begin to do this by thinking up Christian terms, and sometimes they're really good, but sometimes they allow us to keep a little control in different areas. One of these is, is balance. Balance is great, and without balance, you're going to burn out and die in no time. But I know that a lot of times there can be a trend to take balance towards laziness and start thinking, I need to be balanced, so I need to have seven nights a week at home, so I can't do any Bible studies, so that's that. That's not balance, that's laziness. So there is a fine line. We do want balance, but we don't want laziness. So we need to give God control even of our time like that and not compartmentalize it. Another one is, is legalism. And a lot of times Christians will say, well, I don't want to be legalistic about that issue. And what it really means is I really don't want to give God control of that issue. I've heard strong Christians say, I don't want to be legalistic about, about getting drunk. I don't want to be legalistic about having sex with my girlfriend. <laughs> I don't want to be legalistic about those things. And what they're really trying to say is, I don't want to give God control over those things. Legalism is wrong. <laughs> that is true. But God does want control of all areas of our life. When we try to compartmentalize and not give God control of an area, we're becoming religious. And C.S. Lewis, this is a great quote, it's kind of funny, says, of all bad men, religious bad men are worst. <laughs> and I think it's true because they're fake. A religious person is fake because they do something different on Sunday morning than they do the rest of the week, and that's not what God's calling us to. So we should have no compartmentalization or different areas of control that we do not give to God. I think some of the things that I see that a lot of times we tend to do that with would be maybe entertainment. I'm not going to let you tell me what movie not to watch <laughs> because that's my freedom. Well, it is, but God asks you to exercise that freedom correctly. How about your free time? That's another area we like to control is our free time. I'll do what I want with my free time. Maybe that'll be spending 12 hours a day playing video games. That's not giving God control of your free time. We just heard a statistic last week that the average Christian spends less than 10 minutes a day with God. That's sad. If we can spend less than 10 minutes a day with God, but we can spend the same statistic said that the average, the average person in America spends three hours a day watching TV. So... Three hours with the TV, less than ten minutes with God. That's a sad condition, and it's not giving God control of our free time. A lot of times it's hard to give God control of our relationships, isn't it? Uh, Especially for you uh, unmarried college students, it might be hard to really give God control of your relationships, but it's necessary. What about your future? I think for all of us it's hard to really let Him have control of our future. We might say, you know, I want to... I want to have a nice house, too, and I want to have a nice car, too, so I'm going to do what I need to do to get that stuff. And that's not giving God control of our future. A surrendered person has no rights. When you get married, this is just kind of a side note, uh, go into it thinking that you have no rights. Aaron and I like to tell each other we don't have rights. 
I, I don't like to tell Erin she doesn't have any rights. <laughs> but I like to say, we like to say that individually neither of us has rights in our marriage because that is true. You, when you get married, you surrender your rights to that other person. And it's the same way when we let Christ come into our life. We surrender those rights to Him. And we're, we're actually choosing to say, I give up my rights to you, so I'm not going to hold anything against you now and say, I have a right to do this, and you can't tell me otherwise. So a surrendered person has no rights. We've given those up. Uh, I think one of the, the big parts of that is, for us as Christians, is realizing that you are not God's greatest gift to humanity. <laughs> okay, It's true, isn't it? I think it's so easy to start thinking, I want to be humble, but I know I'm something special. <laughs> okay? Have any of you guys ever thought that, or is it just me? Am I the only one? He's like, you're the only one, Nate. We're all totally humble. <laughs> Uh, anyway, I think it's true. Paul says in Romans 12, 3, he says, for, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. So the idea here is that he does not need you. Okay? I think if we could get our mind around that, I know for me, it would be really good <laughs> to realize he doesn't need me. He does not need me. He doesn't need my gifts. And he doesn't need my abilities. He's God, right? If he needed those things, he wouldn't be God, because he'd be dependent on me. But he is God, and he doesn't need those things. And I'm kind of indispensable. If I died tonight, the Great Commission would keep on happening. Christians would still be around tomorrow. God would still be praised. There would still be people reaching people with the gospel across the planet. And I think it's when I realize that I'm not terribly special that God chooses to use me anyway. That's when I develop the right attitude of surrender to God, where I don't come to God and say, I have something to offer, and so if you meet all my rights, I'll offer it. You know, If I get to do things the way I want, if I get to spend time the way I want, then I'll, I'll use my gifts the way you want. But if it cuts into my free time or my video games, I'm not going to use my gifts the way you want or my talents or whatever. And I think... A lot of you in here are, are tremendously awesome examples of people that choose to serve. You really are. Look at like Cassie. Cassie blows my mind. I think she's just such a special woman. And uh, so many of you guys, Sarah, gosh, a lot of you guys, what, which of you guys, Ronnie, Joel, a lot of you guys, and a lot more that I'm not even mentioning, uh, are huge examples of people that have really surrendered and served God. But a lot of people I know in the group have so many gifts and talents that God has given you. And a lot of times it's easy to not use those because we have compartmentalized areas of control and we choose to hold on to our rights. We choose to say, it would be inconvenient to, to do that because I have a right not to. And my challenge to you is to, is to say, look, that right is dead. <laughs> I gave it up. I surrendered it to God. And I really want to let him use me because not because I'm something special, but because he chooses to use me. And because that's part of experiencing the life that he has planned for me. Ravi Zacharias said, your calling must precede your giftings. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true. When I start thinking of how gifted I am in different areas, I start thinking, I start letting those lead me in the ministry or in all I do. I want to do this because I'm gifted at it. And I don't let the calling come first. And God called us first to what things? To know Him, right? And to make Him known. And when that calling comes first, daily to know Him, to spend that time with Him every single day, getting closer to Him, 
and then to make him known in every single opportunity that I get an opportunity to make him known in, when that becomes the foundation, after that, my gifts become a tremendous value because I can use them for that purpose. But if they come first, I'm dead in the water. Uh, the next thing that we can all read together would be 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31. It's really interesting about this whole idea that my gifts aren't anything special to God. Just a personal note. I remember before I came to school, I did this thing called the DTS. I started speaking, teaching or whatever, like I'm doing right now, in Nepal. It was like the first time that I really got an opportunity to speak publicly. And I started speaking in churches. And at the end of our trip in Nepal... I spoke at, this is in 1997, I spoke at a church conference that had three to four hundred people in it, and they're all church leaders from, from Nepal, from, I think we we're in southern Nepal, and Chitwan in the jungle region of Nepal. Most of these people never had any training whatsoever at all in, in, in anything. They come to Christ, they wanted to tell other people about Christ, they went back to their villages, and all these people got saved, and then, then they have a church around them. But they might have had a four-law booklet, or a Gospel of John, and that's it to lead this whole church. And so we did this church training conference, and we had hundreds of people come to this to be trained. It was like the first training that they really had in ministry or in anything. And uh, we're, we're doing it. The pastor that organized this had been beaten. His house had been burned down because it was illegal for Nepali to convert to Christianity. Uh, he'd been persecuted tremendously. And so this whole thing was very secret. It was it was in a big warehouse and supposedly none of the authorities knew we were there and all this. But I, I remember talking at that, and a lot of people complimented me after I talked. And I remember getting quite proud about it and thinking that I was really special. And so I, I started letting that carry me for a while. And I remember by the time I came to, to college, I thought I was pretty hot stuff. I thought I was something special, and I, and I honestly thought that I had something to offer the world that, that maybe nobody before me had. I thought I was gifted in some special way, and I could maybe show people how to walk with God better than maybe other people could have. It was really huge pride. And I remember one time, I think it was at a retreat, God just, like, the thought just hit me like a ton of bricks that if there was anything that special God wanted his body to know, he would have let him know 2,000 years ago. All I needed to do is be obedient to him. I didn't have this great, huge, special, whatever I thought I was. So that's just my example of finding out that I wasn't so incredibly talented and gifted. Okay, 126 through 31. Paul says, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before Him. It is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. I think that verse kind of sums it up, that He's the one that gets the glory, not me. I'm a despised thing, a shameful thing, a weak thing that God has chosen to use because he has mercy on me, not because I'm something special. Uh, look at Peter. Look how gifted he was, right? Most of you know how Peter, all through the New Testament, had a habit of putting his foot in his mouth and other stupid things. And he was not tremendously gifted, but God used him in ways that that none of us will ever be used in. He used him as kind of the beginning cornerstone for his church, he used him as the guy that kind of led the church 
as it was starting off after he left this earth. It wasn't because Peter was gifted. It was because Peter loved him. Remember in John 21, when Jesus comes to Peter, and he doesn't say, hey, you're so gifted, so will you feed my sheep? He says, Peter, do you love me? Okay, feed my sheep. He's going back to this attitude of the heart, this attitude of surrender, of loving him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's loving him first, putting him first in all that we do. And then he can use that person, not because they're gifted, but because they're surrendered and letting him use them first. This is another great quote by uh, Andrew Murray. He says, There is no pride so dangerous, so subtle, and so insidious as the pride of holiness. It is not that a man ever says or even thinks, Stay away, I am too sacred for you. The thought would be considered ludicrous. But unconsciously, there can develop a private habit of the soul that feels complacency in its attainments and cannot help but see how far it is ahead of the others. It isn't always seen in self-assertion or self-praise, but in the absence of self-denial and modesty that reveals a lack of the mark of the soul that is seeing the glory of God. I think it's very powerful. Because a lot of times we won't go around asserting ourselves and saying, I'm better than you. Like if Tim, if I came up to you and said, Hey Tim, how's it going today? just want you to know I'm better than you. <laughs> um, he, you'd say, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. None of us would... <laughs> Tim definitely agrees with that. None of us would ever say that, right? But it is easy to lack that self-denial. To say, I'm not going to surrender. I'm not going to deny myself. Because there is this part of me that believes I am something special. Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. That is so hard. It doesn't say, in humility, consider older Christians better than yourselves. <laughs> or, in humility, consider Billy Graham better than yourself. Or, in humility, consider the Apostle Paul better than yourself. It says, in humility, consider others, everyone. And I know I don't walk around looking at everybody in this room going, Man, <laughs> that person's better than me, Katie. I hate to tell you this, but I didn't think consciously today, Katie's better than me. <laughs> and I don't want to get us to a point where we're walking around just being ridiculous. But it is true. Like, do we put others first in our lives? Do we, do we surrender in that way? Or do we have this idea that I'm something special? So in grace, he chooses to use you when you love him and focus on glorifying him in humility. It's not because of how special you are, but because of your love for him and your decision daily to glorify him. Uh, Nicole Nordeman put it really well in Legacy. It's a great song, most of you know it. She said, did I point to you enough to make a mark on things? It's not how gifted I was, but did I point at him enough to really impact this world? I think that's what I want to do with my life. And I think that's what you guys want to do with your lives, too. So your image doesn't matter. James 4.4 says, friendship with the world is hatred toward God. And I know especially in the United States, it's really hard to have horrible persecution like somebody not liking you shoving the gospel down their throat. Um, you know, there, there are Christian brothers and sisters across this world who are being killed simply for trusting in Christ. And here, we're afraid to share the gospel because somebody might think we're weird. It does not jive with what the gospel says. He tells us friendship with the world is hatred toward God. I don't want my image to be hatred toward God. I don't want it to be friendship with the world. I don't want to have a problem with wanting to be liked by the world. My will does not matter. I can't demand that I get certain things. I can't demand that I have my way. It doesn't work that way. Your point of view doesn't matter. That's a hard one for us Christians. Remember the 21st Street Coffee House? How many of you guys remember that? It was here maybe four or five years ago. It has a sad story because this, it was a Christian coffee house and it lasted maybe a year. 
I don't even know if it lasted that. And the reason it didn't last that long is because all the Christians knew it was a Christian coffee house, so they'd all go there. And you know what they'd do? They would argue the whole time they were there about their opinions and about their points of view because they thought their points of view mattered. I remember hearing through the grapevine non-Christians talking about that as, as a shame and why they didn't think Christians had anything more special than anybody else. It's because people wouldn't surrender. They thought their points of view were something super special. I know sometimes somebody will say some theological view that I maybe don't agree with, and uh, and Aaron, Aaron will laugh. Sometimes Aaron will whisper at me and be like, are you going to say something? And sometimes I just go, you know, let's not, you know. No sense arguing with them. And sometimes it might even be a major issue, but is it going to be a bigger distraction from Christ himself? If the issue is going to, is so huge, yeah, you want to address it. But don't let your point of view become more important than Christ. Surrender that to Him. Remember that you gave up control of all those things, your image, your rights, your your gifts, your talents, all that, your will, your points of view, you gave up control of those to God. So what areas must be surrendered? And there's only one. It's everything. Uh, nothing can be preserved or spared. In this life of surrender, nothing survives. Okay? All that dies. Everything from the old name has to eventually die. It has to be surrendered. I can't hold on to it and experience what God's called me to in this life, and I can't experience the abundant life He wants for me if I hold on to it. Uh, basically, a slave for God has no rights. We give up those rights. We say, God, you're everything. And I, I know this might sound hard tonight, guys, and I'm not preaching at you, because it's for me too. What I'm saying is that in this walk that we have with God, we're called to give all of me up to Him. I think the motive for surrender is a heart for God, like Nadine talked about this morning. It comes out of that, because it's not fun to surrender, is it? Would any of you that think surrendering things that are important and special to you is fun? If you think that that's fun, raise your hand. Because <laughs> it's not. We don't like to surrender those things at all, because it hurts. And so the motive for surrender has to be a heart for God. As I draw closer to God, He gives me a desire to surrender the old life to Him today and every day he's showing me new areas to surrender isn't that true Russ has probably been Russ and Judy and Linda have been Christians longer than anybody else in this room and I mean we're talking like many decades 40, 50 years 70 years and, no just kidding <laughs> um, but would you, wouldn't you say Russ that probably even this week and probably even today God has showed you things to surrender that you never maybe knew about for 40 years it's this continual process of surrender that we're never going to get to the end of, but He's going to be drawing us through it for the rest of our lives. So the motive is a heart for God. The more we love Him again with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, the more we're going to be willing to surrender to Him. So, how do we surrender? I want to make this clear. This might sound legalistic. Legalism is wrong, but the Christian life does require dying. Okay? So legalism is wrong, but we are supposed to die. There, that's it's kind of a kind of hard to to get the two to fit together, but it's true. Legalism, I think, is when I cram God's law down other people's lives. Uh, when I die, it's saying, God, I choose out of my heart and my love for you to surrender. So surrender starts with surrendering every single day, whenever there is an occasion that is given to me. Jesus said this in Luke nine twenty three. He said. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So he had to deny himself daily. He had to take up his cross daily. 
And a cross in that time was the worst way to die. Probably would be today. It's very painful and it's very humiliating. And now what Jesus is saying is every single day you're not going to get nailed to a wooden cross. But he's saying every day you're going to have humiliating, shaming, uncomfortable ways of dying to self. And to be my disciple every day, you don't have to just endure those things, but you have to embrace those things. You have to deny yourself and take up that cross daily and die to yourself. Uh, if you want to follow me. So that's part of following Christ. A lot of times, me and I think a lot of people focus on how great the abundant life is in Christ. But there's this other aspect that, that kind of comes before the abundant life. When we live a life of dying to ourselves, then we experience the abundant life. A.W. Tozer said, In every Christian's heart there is a cross and a throne, and the Christian is on the throne till he puts himself on the cross. If he refuses the cross, he remains on the throne. Perhaps this is at the bottom of all the backsliding and worldliness among believers today. We want to be saved, but insist Christ do all the dying. Isn't that scary? But it's true. It's how we live so often. I want all the benefits, but I don't want to have to die to get them. I want Christ to do all the dying. I want to just have fun. Well, all the benefits require dying. They're there. I'm not saying they're not. But dying is a prerequisite. That's why Paul said in Galatians 2.20, says, I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So it's this issue of daily dying to self, daily being crucified with Christ so that I can live the life that Christ intends for me to live. There's that cause and effect relationship between death and life, where I die to self and then I experience the life God intends for me to experience. So the cross is the instrument of your death. It's not fun. It hurts. It hurts in every part of your being. But it's a daily call to us as Christians. And this is something that that I think is really hard to comprehend, but it's true. It takes the people around you, and probably in this room, for you to be crucified. And this is a cheesy illustration, but I like using it. Imagine if you were trying to crucify yourself to the cross, right? And so you nailed your feet to the cross, and then you nailed your left hand to the cross, if you're right-handed. Well, you still have your right hand dangling around, and there's no way you can nail it to the cross. So you need somebody around you, probably one of your roommates, or maybe your boyfriend or girlfriend, or maybe some other Christian in the group, to nail that other hand to the cross, and that hurts. But it's in those times that we can say, look, I surrender, and I'm going to have the right attitude, and I'm going to embrace that crucifixion and and love you and have the right attitude and die to myself. Even though it hurts like crazy, I'm going to do it because it's part of what God's called me to. It's the foundation for all he has for me. Uh, That's why in Ephesians 4.2 it says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient and bear with one another in love. Because we need to bear with one another. You know... The reason that people leave Christian work isn't because of lack of finances. It isn't because God quit doing awesome things. <laughs> I've never heard somebody say, you know, I just I, I left the ministry because people quit getting saved. <laughs> never heard that. Never heard anything like that. The reason people leave the ministry is because of relational problems with other people in the ministry. And we, me and Dave, my brother Dave, we saw it all the time growing up. We were part of a horrible church split in Romania. And a lot of people fell away from Christ because of that. A lot of people left the ministry because of that. And it was because of these relationships. So when you have that opportunity to take offense at your brother or sister, or maybe even somebody that's not a Christian, let it go. Don't take offense. Don't take offense. Believe the best in that person. There will be times where you can think in your head, that person sure meant to tweak me, man. They meant to 
to really hurt me, will choose right then and there to say, I don't believe that. I'm going to believe the best about that person, and I'm going to die to self. Ellie Maxwell said, The daily cross, something which is to be the instrument of disgrace and execution, is whatever gives occasion for ever deeper test of self-surrender. And that's the idea. Every day I have this, this opportunity to have deeper surrender than the day before. And every day I can choose to, to take that opportunity and surrender or to hold on to self. And I think the idea here is sacrifice is not cheap. It does hurt and it's not fun. That's why we kind of run from it. In 2 Samuel 24, 24, David is going to sacrifice to the Lord. David says, I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. He says, I am not going to sacrifice what's cheap. And a lot of times we want to do that in our life, right? We're like, God, I'll give up Snickers bars. <laughs> I mean, that's great, but that's not that big a deal. Sometimes he's going to say, what about that life dream that you've had since you were five? Are you going to give that up? And a lot of times we don't want to do that. I wanted to be a doctor from the time I was 12 till the time I was over 20. And God said, you want to give that up to be in full-time ministry? I wanted to be a missionary doctor even, so... I tried to rationalize it. And finally I said, God, I will give that up. But it hurt like crazy. And it still hurt later. I remember I went, when I went to my job as the air quality specialist, they had one of those, but you know the things on doctor's offices where the door like has this little sign that flips out and it kind of spins around or whatever? I had one of those on my office. I was like, it's just like putting salt on an old sore. You know, I finally give up being a doctor, and here's this doctor sign on my office. And I remember I ripped it off and threw it in the trash can because it was just reminding me of this old dream that I had given up to God. And sometimes those things hurt. It's a lot more, it's not cheap to give up some of those things that maybe we've desired for a long time. So sacrifice and surrender do hurt. They're not comfortable. So <laughs> realize right now that those occasions for surrender, those occasions for dying to self, they will be painful. And they will hurt tremendously, uh, but it's for our own good. And it is the key to the abundant life God wants for us. Okay, here's a quote by Andrew Murray. This is probably my favorite quote by Andrew Murray tonight. He says, Many Christians fear and flee and seek deliverance from all that would humble them. At times they may pray for humility, but in their heart of hearts they pray even more to be kept from the things that would bring them to that place. And I think that's so true. It's like, I know when I read that, it's like, Conviction all over just <laughs> came up in my mind, you know? Where I might pray, God, make me humble. I remember my uh, sophomore year of school, I prayed one time, hey, God, make me humble. And I'm not, this is no joke, I'm as serious as can be. The next week, I had five people tell me I was ugly. And five people, <laughs> not kidding you, and this is no joke. I had five people tell me I was stupid, including a math professor in front of the whole class. And he's still a professor at Fort Lewis, so I won't say his name. At the end of the, you, you know how long it took me to ask God again to make me humble. <laughs> Literally, I hate to say this, but it was it was last year. It was the first time since then. It, it took like seven years. And I remember last year, I, after reading this book, I said, God, I am scared to death to ask you to make me humble. But I said, I trust that you'll do it kindly, <laughs> and I do want it, and I know it's going to hurt. Give it to me, and you know what's best for me, so I trust that. So, uh, so it will hurt, and um, it's not fun. But seek it. Seek it with everything, right? So practice dying to self. Jeremiah 4.4 4 talks about circumcising your hearts to God, cutting off things in your heart that don't need to be there, that prevent you from living a life close to God. Some of the things that I think would be good to practice dying to self in would be TV and other entertainment. When me and Aaron got married, we said, we're not going to have TV in our house. 
it was hard, right? Because I was kind of addicted to news. I'm a news junkie. I used to just sit for hours in front of the TV watching news. And that was something that was really preventing me from, from experiencing what God had in my life, I think, because it was an idol. Food, we can, we can fast. Sleeping in, negotiating with the alarm, those extra couple minutes of sleep that feel really comfortable and all of us like, well, there's a time, I think, where a lot of us will get called to die to that right, to say, I don't have a right to sleep till 9 or 10 or 12. I could actually enjoy getting up at, at 6 and and spending that time with God, and it'd be really good for me. I love hearing stories about Dave. His roommates are always like, and then at 4.30, Dave woke up. <laughs> then at 5, Dave woke up, and I heard him walk up. I heard his alarms, and, and then I heard him walk up the stairs and start having his quiet time. It's a neat story, Dave. It's a good example to all of us. We can die to self in our free time, what we do with our free time. We can. A lot of us guys, well, a lot of you guys, and I'm not just pointing the finger, but I do not play many video games. A few times that I've played with you guys, you guys knew that instantly because I lost big. <laughs> but anyway, video games. We could die to self in video games. We could die to self in a lot of relationships with the opposite sex, like girlfriends and boyfriends, because those can tend to take our eyes off Christ. Now, I'm not saying you better break up with your girlfriend or boyfriend. Mark's like, whew. <laughs> well, now it's a fiancé. Congratulations. <laughs> That's awesome. No, but for a time in school, I remember there was a time where I said for the next two or three years, I will not date anyone because I want to get closer to you, Jesus. And it was probably two or three of the best years of my life. You could give up your GPA, honestly. I graduated with about a 3.0, and that's nothing special. I could have spent a lot more time studying to be on the, I don't know what, you know, magna cum laude or whatever. And some of you guys do that naturally. I didn't. But anyway, you could give up some of that and say, I, I surrender that GPA to God. You could give up a summer break and go on a project overseas. You could give up your image. So getting into some harder ones to give up. Maybe that image needs to die a little bit. I remember a lot of people in the chemistry department didn't think I was so cool when I was always talking about why I believed in creation. Okay, they, they thought, oh, what a stupid kid that is. That's why he's never come to chemistry club. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> you could give up your gifts and talents as a Christian. That's huge. What if God called you to... Well, I've heard a lot of people say, I don't do evangelism because that's not where I'm gifted. Well, what if God called you to become gifted in evangelism? How do you even know if you're, if you're gifted in evangelism if you never do it? Right? So maybe you are really gifted in some area, and God's saying, put that on the shelf for a while and step out into some new areas. Uh, what about your hopes, dreams, and desires? Like, what about showing those and dying to self for the hopes, the dreams, and the desires and all this stuff and saying, God, you are in control of all of it. What about the rest of your life? All of you guys have dreams for the rest of your life. You all do. I think every single one of us has this dream of what we want our life to look at. What about dying to that dream and saying, God, you have control even over that dream, even over my biggest hopes for life? Even if they're good ones, you know? I mean, a lot of you probably have dreams of shaking the world for God. What about saying, God, I give that up. I'm willing to sit in a, in a little rinky-dink town and do the Great Commission till the day I die, if that's what you want from me. I don't have to have my name all over the newspaper. We can give up even good dreams and say, you're, you're Lord of all of it. So surrender is unpleasant. But remember, and this is one of my favorite quotes of the night, and it doesn't come from any super spiritual hero guy. It comes from an old friend of mine named Barry Swift. He's not old, but I've known him for a long time. But he used to say, dead men don't feel anything. And I think that is the best quote ever. 
Because it's true. When I give up those things, when I die to self, it hurts. But if truly I'm dying and letting Christ live in me, it won't hurt, right? Because he's living his life through me. So what are the results of surrender? Okay. At first when I was doing this, I thought the results of surrender. The abundant life, you get so happy and joyful. I started thinking, well, not really. The results of surrender, I mean eventually, but the results of surrender right now, you won't get your way. (laughs) Ephesians 5.21 says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So there will be many times where you won't get what you want. Your rights will be trampled, but remember you have no rights. Andrew Murray said, It is easy to think that we humble ourselves before God, but our humility towards others is the only sufficient proof that our humility before God is real. And I think he was dead on in that. You will go places and do things that you never thought you would, and you maybe never thought you'd like to do. <laughs> Might be uncomfortable. Liz, is Liz in here? No, she left. Oh, she left. Liz went to Mozambique, and I'm sure probably when she was a child, she didn't dream of going to Mozambique and all this. But now she wants to go back there and serve God there. It's a neat thing. But she probably never dreamt she'd go there when she was a little girl. The world will hate you. Grasp that. That is the result of surrendering everything to Christ. The world's going to hate you. <laughs> because Jesus promised you that in John 15:18. There are a lot of neat promises about hope and joy. But there's all, there are also those promises that aren't comfortable, like the world's going to hate you. Okay? And that, but that's a promise. The next one also isn't fun. It says, you will be persecuted. That's another promise. It's in uh, 2 Timothy 3.12. When we surrender everything to God, we're going to get persecuted for it. And it's not going to be fun. But here's, the, here's kind of the crux. The harder you try to hold on to your life, the less of true life you'll experience. The harder you try to hold on to what you have, your hopes, your dreams, and everything in your life, the harder it's going to be to experience true life. Jesus said in Matthew 10.39, Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So as we lose our life by dying to it daily, by surrendering it to Christ, that's to keep the key to finding it in ways that we never imagined possible. Every great... Man of God, woman of God has a story of when that occurred. I remember hearing about Billy Graham when he was, I think, 17, getting on his knees and saying, God, I surrender everything. I don't care what you make me do. I don't care if I clean toilets. I don't care what I do. I want you to do what you want with me. And God honored that. And I'm sure that Billy Graham then, that night on his knees, if you would have said, you'll be the greatest evangelist that's ever lived, I'm sure he would have said, you're out of your mind. right? But it was a heart of surrender and a heart of loving God with everything, with all his heart, his soul, his mind, and strength, that God honored and used. It wasn't because he was gifted, I don't think. I've heard a lot of people that are much more eloquent than Billy Graham, and <laughs> nothing against him, but they're much more articulate, eloquent, maybe a lot more um, theologically amazing, like Rabbi Zacharias. But man, God has used him, and it's not because he was so gifted, but because he simply surrendered to God and said, I want to be used how you want, not how I want. Right? So we lose our life to find it. In Jeremiah 2.13 it says that we've forsaken him, the source of true water, and that we've built cisterns that don't satisfy at all. Right? And that's true, we've done that. We need to lose those cisterns and say, I want you, the source of real living water. You will experience the abundant life in ways you never imagined possible. Your life purpose will be accomplished. It starts with today, Luke 16.10, being faithful in the little things that God's given you today. Your, your, your purpose and your ministry and your plans, and your goals, and your future don't start when you get out of school. They don't start after you get married. They don't start next year. They start today. So how are you surrendering today and letting God be in control today, whatever situation you're in? 
And when you're faithful to surrender in those little areas, that's where all of it starts. Every day I'm going to have those areas to surrender. So, it's that upward cycle again. Surrender, be humbled, grow closer to God. Surrender, be humbled, grow closer to God. Each surrender brings you closer to Him. The process is the foundation for everything. That's why Romans 12.1 says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. If you want to worship God, surrender everything in your life to Him. Because it says that's your reasonable act of worship. In John 4.23, Jesus said that the Father is searching for people that will worship Him in spirit and in truth. That doesn't mean that they'll sing really awesome songs. (laughs) It means that they'll live a life of surrender through the Holy Spirit's power, based on His truth, the Word, every single day. So true worship requires daily surrender and constant submission. A proud person cannot be close to Him, and a proud vessel cannot be a conduit of His power. It's impossible. It has to be emptied before it can be used. We must present ourselves as empty vessels in which God can dwell and manifest His power and goodness. Where God has come in His power and revealed Himself, the vessel becomes nothing. Andrew Murray. Uh, it's a great quote. In a surrendered life, you will experience rejection, pain, and neglect. It is a life with no rights. You will die daily and it will hurt daily. So anticipate it. It is, though, the beginning of all God has for you. All the promises about the abundant life and joy and hope and peace, that's where it comes. Because my flesh doesn't produce those things. Otherwise, Christ wouldn't have had to come in the first place. right? But when I die to everything that's part of me, I can experience everything that's part of Him. So in losing you, you will find who God means for you to be. And that's where true abundance and significance start. In John seven thirty seven through 38 Jesus promised living water to all those that believe in Him. He said it would be overflowing out of you. I don't see that in Christians today. So many Christians are barely surviving. <laughs> They're barely making it by. They're no different than the world. They're not more satisfied. They don't have any more hope. But it's because they will not surrender and die to the stuff that God wants to free them from and produce his real living water in. And so, the last quote by Henry Murray is great. It says, Until a humility that rests on nothing less than the end and death of self, and which gives up all honor of men, as Jesus did, to seek the honor that comes from God alone, which absolutely makes and counts itself nothing, that God may be all, that the Lord alone may be exalted, until such a humility is what we seek in Christ above our chief joy and welcome at any price, there is very little hope of a faith that will conquer the world. If we want to impact this world for Christ, it starts with dying. It starts with being dead to everything that, that the world doesn't need, which is me, it's Nate. The world doesn't need any more Nate. You know, there's six billion of us out there. He needs more of Jesus, so I need to die. And that's what he says there. Until we're ready to die, he says there's very little hope of a faith that will conquer the world. So, I want to leave you with something that Jesus talked about in Matthew 25, 21. And that is, when you die, imagine this. I don't know when it'll be. You guys will all die sometime unless Christ comes back. And then he'll ask you the same question, I'm sure. The question will be, and do you want to hear this? It's not a question, I guess. It's a statement. Do you want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant? I know I want that. I don't want to hear, (laughs) well, you made it. (laughs) Glad you made it, bud. (laughs) You know? (laughs) I want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And I guess if I... If I, if I don't learn to surrender and die to myself today, in every opportunity that He gives me, I'm not going to live a life that's deserving of that kind of a statement, right? So hold nothing back. Start surrendering every area today. 
And I guess I hate catchy phrases, but this one hit me at the end of the talk when I was doing the notes, and so I wrote it down, so I'll say it. And it's fitting that we're at a retreat, too. There is victory in retreat, and it's true. Uh, When we retreat, that's when we experience victory, not when we push ahead with the old self.